welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and I am so grateful you have joined me today on this journey of learning to love Jesus and our neighbor through healthy, life-giving theology. Today, I want to talk to you about the experience of healing, specifically spiritual healing. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that every problem is a spiritual problem. That might sound strange to those of you who don't know much about addiction, but take some time to think about it. Every problem is a spiritual problem. Although spiritual problems can be experienced in many ways, oftentimes spiritual problems come in the form of resistance. We are resisting in our spirit the need to forgive, the need to take action, the need to surrender. We are resisting acceptance, accepting our circumstances. We are resisting accepting who people are. We are resisting our limitations. Understanding that every problem is a spiritual problem helps us to see that sometimes, sometimes it is only a spiritual solution that can help us. Now, it's important to note that not all spiritual healing is due to our resistance to anything or our resistance to virtue or healthy living. Oftentimes, we experience what theologians call soul wounds or deep trauma from those around us. Spiritual problems can sometimes result from trauma. Maybe some of you listening grew up in abusive homes or you are a sexual assault survivor. I truly believe that even in trauma, healing spiritually is so important. And given the many ways that spiritual problems can come about, I want to take some time to really explore what spiritual healing can be. What does spiritual healing look like from a healthy theological perspective? And is spiritual healing even possible? A couple of years ago, I attended a church that was dedicated to providing a healthy space for people who have been greatly hurt by the evangelical church. This particular faith community is a new ministry of the United Methodist Church. A new ministry in the UMC is a new forward-thinking UMC church plant that seeks to do church in a new progressive way. Sometimes new ministries can be in a house or in a loft, or other places besides a church. This particular new ministry of the United Methodist Church began in an older church that had closed its doors a few years earlier. The entire church, including the sanctuary, was redesigned to help people who had experienced religious trauma feel safe enough to worship. And so the pews were taken out and the baptismal font was put in the back and the sermons were super theologically progressive. I, along with lots of other people, really appreciated the lengths at which this community went to make this church a safe place for all. When I attended this new ministry, I noticed that there was a lot of emphasis on healing. Everything we did was to provide healing and healing to people who were hurting and struggling with their faith. And this experience led me to question my own understanding of healing. What do pastors and church leaders mean by healing? What does it mean to actually heal from trauma and past hurt? Are you dependent upon others to heal? Can you heal by yourself? 
How does healing work and does it happen in an instant or does it take time? If it takes time, how much time? And what does it mean for the church to help foster the healing of trauma? What does it mean to offer spiritual healing as a church? Just the other day, my wife used the term rebranding to describe the experience of intentionally attempting to make new associations with something. We often understand rebranding as it applies to marketing, but psychologically speaking, you can rebrand anything. If you grew up with the fear of dogs, you could grow more comfortable with dogs and make new associations with dogs by intentionally taking your friend's dog for a walk once a week. This kind of rebranding is very intentional and it is very possible and it happens all the time. If that is your issue, what you are doing is you are changing your association with dogs from something negative to something positive. This new ministry church was a rebranding church. They were making a sacred Christian space more welcoming to those who have experienced religious trauma. At this church, there is no passing of the plate, no mention of hellfire and brimstone. But this experience, as comfortable as it was, it made me ask myself, is rebranding enough? Can we simply rebrand our trauma in order to heal from it? Now, I know the idea of rebranding suffering and pain can sound silly, but think of the letter of James. James chapter one, verse two says, count it all joy when you fall into many trials. Is that all we have to do to find peace and healing after experiencing abuse? Count it all joy because of the character building trauma can possibly produce? Now, I know that question verges on being disrespectful, but many of us have grown up in evangelical churches where we have been, we've brought our pain and trauma to our pastors and we're given the charge to be thankful. Be thankful. Being thankful for suffering is just another form of rebranding. And although I believe our pastors and youth pastors meant well, suffering and trauma is far more complicated than that. In order to heal from past hurt and trauma, we have to do some serious excavation. We have to look under the hood and do some deconstruction, not just for our long held beliefs about ourselves and what happened, but some deconstruction on what we believed about God in the midst of that suffering. Rebranding can be helpful, but without the true excavation and deep processing of the traumatic event, healing and personal growth are very, very limited. Lots of mainline churches believe that because they are not preaching toxic theology, they are safe and they are a healing community. But the truth is you can reject an idea and still be informed by it. You can say you believe in gender equality and never invite a woman to be part of session. You can say that you no longer believe in total depravity, that you no longer believe that God hates you as a sinner and still live as if you do. Healing has to go so much deeper than simply remodeling the church floor and rebranding a memory. 
we must begin to do the hard work of figuring out how to heal. Lately, I have been reading the writings of G. Lloyd Rediger. Rediger is a pastor and a consultant for clergy. He's got quite a few books on pastoral ministry that I find very helpful. In one of his books, Rediger dedicated a whole chapter to the experience of healing. And in this chapter, Rediger outlined several methodologies around healing. In medicine, healing begins with an injury or an experience of pain. Then there is a diagnosis and treatment. Sometimes with our physical health, full restoration cannot be attained. And so healing is more about pain management or symptom management than actual healing. Another form of healing that I never really thought about is the American dream. Many people immigrate to the United States for all sorts of reasons, political oppression, religious persecution, war, but they immigrate here to ultimately have a better life. According to the American dream, healing can be achieved through immigration and assimilation into the American way of life. Furthermore, healing begins through hard work. And if you work hard enough, you can achieve wealth and happiness. This is what we call the American dream. But we know this kind of thinking has proven to produce consumeristic mindsets and entitlement. Rediger goes on to outline other forms of healing and then finally gets to a Christian theological model for healing. For Rediger, healing is rooted in the gospel. Now, before I begin with Rediger's understanding of the gospel, I want to preface that this is going to be an extremely healthy way of looking at the good news. This is not total depravity, wrath of God, understanding of the gospel that many of us inherited. Rediger's understanding of the gospel and spiritual healing is really healthy and life-giving. So let's begin. According to scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this is true because of what it says in Romans, but also because of the way Jesus responded to the woman caught in adultery. I know for many of us, that's just a story, but there's so much theology in these moments with Jesus. And this particular story has a very grounding, very wonderful humanistic theology in it. When the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery and implored him to condemn her, we know from John chapter 8 that Jesus said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. In that moment, the God of the universe shattered any sense of moral superiority that people had. And so does the gospel. All have sinned. All have made mistakes. Everyone needs grace and everyone needs mercy. Any kind of moral superiority is absolutely absurd. For those of you who are struggling through healing from trauma, you can see this verse as a call to accepting our common humanity. In accepting our common humanity, we can all enter into confession Healing begins with confession. You can confess the harm that you have caused, or you can confess the harm done to you. You can also confess who God is. The point of confession is revelation. We are revealing what is happening inside of us. And so in addition to confessing harm done, you can reveal what happened to you. 
One time I heard Mark Driscoll talk about 1 John chapter 1, verse 19 as a complete and total cleansing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 19 says that when we confess our sin, He, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mark Driscoll emphasizes the all. He believes that when scripture says all, it means all, not just the sin you commit, but the sin others have committed upon you. I find that really wonderful. Confessing or revealing all that is going on in your heart can invite the Holy Spirit of God to help you let it go. And it can be the start of a journey of releasing the pain and giving it to God. If we are confessing the harm we have caused, the harm we have caused other people, confessing who God is allows us to remember the grace and mercy that awaits us. The next step in this gospel healing process is to accept forgiveness from God. Accepting God's forgiveness means we accept who we are, we accept our need for grace, and we accept God's grace for others. Accepting God's forgiveness means that we accept what Christ did on the cross as enough to propitiate our sins and the sins of others. Propitiate is a theological term that John Piper likes to use, which means good enough sacrifice. So think of it this way. A sacrificial lamb is not a propitiation. It's not sufficient. Only Christ on the cross, only God with us on the cross could be our propitiation. And it is enough. The next step in the healing journey, according to Rediger, is doing penance. Doing penance. Rediger cites Luke chapter 3, verse 8 to make his point. In this verse, John the Baptist proclaimed a baptism of repentance, and he told others to bear fruits worthy of repentance. Rediger also cites Acts chapter 26, verse 20, where Paul described the Gentiles as people who do deeds consistent with repentance. If we have truly confessed our sins and the sins done to us, if we have truly accepted the forgiveness of a loving God, then we ought to do deeds consistent with repentance. I love the phrase, bear fruits worthy of repentance, because the metaphor of fruit is consistent in scripture. Think back to Paul's description of the fruits of the Spirit. We know from Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And if that is the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives, then we know we have forgiven our enemies and found healing when we behave that way, when we are full of forgiveness and peace. Think of the fruits of the Spirit as symptoms of healing, not demands and not a checklist of things you have to do when you are hurting. When you are hurting, you show compassion to yourself. You remove yourself from harm. You provide comfort for yourself. You seek comfort. You don't demand to be joyful and peaceful and loving. You don't demand that of yourself. You provide comfort. But those fruits of the Spirit are the fruit of healing. 
When we have experienced healing, our speech, our behavior, and our hearts will express only love, only peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control around the memory of what happened. There can be no rebranding without the full gospel experience, without understanding and accepting our common humanity, without accepting God's forgiveness and our common need for it. There can be no rebranding, no healing, without truly accepting Christ on the cross as enough, as the true propitiation for harm done. And not just the harm that we have done, but the harm that was done to us. It's important to like really just stop and ask, like, what is the healing? What is the alternative to healing? What happens if we decide we don't want to reveal what happened and accept God's forgiveness and accept the propitiation of the crucifixion? What can happen if we decide not to pursue healing, to not deal with our pain and our trauma? Well, we just live with it and it will only get worse. It will only poison other parts of our lives. Unhealing and the lack of health only poisons other parts of our lives. If you decide to live with a broken leg, you are deciding not to run again, and you are deciding not to walk freely, and you are deciding to rely on other people to help you for the rest of your life. And I know that's kind of like a strong metaphor, but it is true. If we don't really pursue healing with all our hearts, it poisons everything. We must pursue healing and do it with all our heart. Please remember that forgiveness and pursuing healing does not mean going back to the person who has caused harm. Hear me, hear me, hear me. God will never, never call you to live and remain in a hurtful relationship. Remember that verse we learned in middle school? For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. God is never calling you to stay in hurtful situations. God's intention towards you is always love and it's always wholeness and healing. I want you to hear from Rediger himself as I read this passage on doing penance, because I know the idea of doing penance can be kind of elusive. So here are his words. Doing penance reminds us of the pain and cost of error and evil. It is not enough to offer and receive the works of forgiveness. We must make real and symbolic restitution and stop hurtful practices. For even though the abuse cannot be rescinded, nor the damage fully repaired. Penance offers trustworthy demonstration of repentance and the probability that the sin will not be repeated, at least not easily. It is important in this stage for those on whom pain and damage have been inflicted to participate in defining needed penance. End quote. Take some time to consider what real and symbolic restitution might mean for you. Maybe it means moving on to another church. Maybe it is respectfully ending a harmful relationship. Maybe it means respecting the care you need by giving yourself the time and space to process a traumatic experience through a trusted therapist and prioritizing that processing. 
I'm not sure what real and symbolic restitution might mean to you, but whatever it is, it must include the stopping or ending of the traumatic events and the removal of yourself from the situation. And finally, the last step in this gospel-centered healing is the absolution of sin. Rediger calls it pronouncing absolution. I want you to hear Rediger's words on what it means to absolve someone of sin. He wrote, this is the declaration of the termination of suffering caused by sin. It is not denial. It is not a fantasy that memories of the abuse and pain will disappear. The sin was real, but so was the forgiveness. The memories will not disappear, but they can be healed. The pain will come and become a manageable scar. The urges for retribution, the victim attitude will fade when someone in our authority, either a priest or a pastor, or all of us get together to pronounce absolution in Jesus' name. Our model, of course, is Jesus Christ, who while suffering on the cross said, it is finished. This means the end of accusations, discussion, or obsession about the abuse. End quote. There is so much to unpack there. Note that Rediger said, absolution is not denial. Absolving someone from the sin that they have done to you is not denial, but acceptance and letting it go. In a perfect world, the other person understands that they have caused harm, is super repentant and takes upon themselves the work needed to change. But that doesn't always happen. We don't live in a perfect world. Sometimes penance is simply done by removing yourself from a harmful person and a harmful situation and keeping up a permanent boundary with them. Absolution comes when you accept that the situation is over and truly accept that God's forgiveness is enough. When I think of letting go of trauma, I think about that line in the Dog Days Are Over song by Florence and the Machine, where Florence compares holding on to past hurts as dragging that horse around. When we absolve people of the harm they have caused, we are removing their sins as far as the East is from the West. Remember that verse where God declares through the prophets that he has removed their sins as far as the East is from the West? Well, when we forgive others and accept God's forgiveness of them, we need to do that ourselves and remove those sins from our mind. Just let it go. When we absolve people of harm, the harm that they have caused, we are saying with Christ, it is finished. Notice that Jesus said, it is finished before the resurrection. It is finished, happened before the start of the church in Acts. Jesus, while on the cross, in the midst of enduring trauma, said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It is finished. We aren't waiting until we rebuild ourselves to absolve someone. We aren't waiting until we feel renewed before we forgive. There can be no renewal, no rebuilding without forgiveness, penance, and an absolution of sin. It is 
finished. We say with Jesus, it is finished if we want to heal. Remember Rediger's words when he wrote, the sin was real, but so is the forgiveness. The forgiveness is real, and it's just as real as the pain you feel. The pain is real, but the forgiveness is real too. And God can help us let that go. For some of us, connecting with the idea of healing and the gospel is is, is just too much. The word gospel is just too triggering. If that is you and you have to disconnect from that term in order to heal, please go ahead. Please feel free to do that. My goal with this podcast is to help you find peace, not dictate how you do it. But I do want to plead with you to do this, to forgive, to do penance and absolution. The gospel was never meant to be a weapon. The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God with us was meant to be liberating. It was meant to be liberation. If you are seeking spiritual healing today, I want to invite you to confess, reveal what happened, reveal it out loud to God and reveal it to a trusted friend or a therapist. Forgive the person who caused you harm. There can be no peace, no renewal, no resurrection, whatever that may be for you. No resurrection without forgiveness. Accept the free gift of forgiveness and grace from God. Let Jesus on the cross be enough. Remove yourself from harm and bear fruit worthy of repentance and do the work of pronouncing absolution over whatever happened. Because you deserve the abundant life. You deserve liberation. You deserve to be spiritually free. And the gospel is one very powerful way to experience that. Remind yourself that whatever happened to you, that it is finished. Even if you have to say it over and over and over again. Invite Jesus into that pronunciation with you. Invite your pastor or a trusted friend. Spiritual healing is possible. It is within reach. It just requires a lot of excavation and work. But it's all worth it. I promise spiritual healing and health is so worth it. I know I threw a lot at you today, but I really want to encourage you to think about these things. I just, I read that material and it just got so excited about it. I wanted to share it with you. Please take some time to think about that. Where in your life do you need to experience healing? Who do you need to forgive and absolve? Where do you need to remove yourself from harm? If all of our problems are spiritual problems, what are we resisting? What are the spiritual solutions to those problems? How can we accept life on life's terms and use the gospel to help us grow into more loving, accepting, forgiving, and ultimately free people? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please reach out and connect with me on Instagram or Twitter. You can also connect with me on my website at Ashley L. Until next time, this is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and you are listening to the Unlearning Podcast. <laughs>